just like we do almost every July, I sang that song with primary children on Sunday. This is Stacy Julian with episode 122 of Exactly Enough Time. podcast is about being present. It is also about living with refreshing optimism and cultivating things like curiosity, awareness, and connection. I am your host, Stacy Julian. I am a life enthusiast, a storyteller, and a believer. I love to talk about people, places, and all kinds of things. Listen up. I think you'll find inspiration for living your life and telling your story because you have exactly enough time. So, on July 24th, 1847, the first Mormon pioneers entered the valley of the Great Salt Lake. They were followed by nearly 70,000 pioneers over the next dozen or so years, leaving for many people like me a legacy of faith and fortitude. If you live in Utah, USA, you are very aware of the annual 24th of July festivities that honor and celebrate these founders. Pioneer Day, you guys, is this Saturday. I do not live in Utah, but it is something that my family still likes to at least pause and recognize and celebrate in small ways. And you might think that that song I played is just a cute song. Maybe somebody made it up after the fact to teach little kids about pioneers. In reality, it was written by John Daniel Thompson McAllister, a handcart company captain. In a biography written by his daughter Lucille, we read, Before the handcart company left Iowa, he did take the time to teach his handcart song to the handcart pioneers, who sang it as they pushed and pulled their carts across the plains and the mountains to Zion. Okay, so today I'm going to tell you a true story, a story that has changed my life, a story that I did not know anything about until about 10 years ago. This is the story of my third great-grandmother, Anne Temperance George. Now that's a name. Anne grew up in Cornwall before it was officially England, She was one of eight children born to a gentleman farmer and his wife. She was apprenticed at a young age to Lady Trelawney as a cook and house cleaner. In her teens, it was her job to take the donkey and the loaded cart into the town square to sell milk, butter, cheese, and vegetables. At some point, she made the acquaintance of John Doney. They courted and married in 1853 in their local parish. Soon after her marriage, Anne Temperance George Doney and her new husband, John, decided to move to Davenport in Devonshire to be near Anne's sister, Grace. 
And this, for me, is where the story gets really interesting. It was in this place that Grace invited Anne to attend some controversial street meetings with Mormon missionaries. One record states that she was at once greatly impressed and shortly became convinced that this was her path forward. She was baptized against her husband's will. However, a few months later, John made his own inquiry and also chose to join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They both desired to travel to America and beyond, to a place they called Zion. So they opened a delicatessen and notion shop to save money for their ocean voyage. They embarked on this voyage April 19, 1856, and at that time had a little daughter, also named Anne. She was 18 months old. Their chartered ship, called the Samuel Curling, had made the voyage to Boston and back a few times, but was nonetheless considered unseaworthy. During their 35-day crossing, it was recorded that they avoided shipwreck three times. There were 700 additional passengers on board. It was not a comfortable passage. Sickness broke out many times, and food was lacking and unpalatable. On board, their little Anne became gravely ill, and Anne, her mother, prayed fervently that her baby's life could be spared. She knew that she would be unable to throw her body overboard if she died. Little Anne did live, but only for a short while. She ultimately died as they traveled railroads from Boston to Iowa City in overcrowded boxcars. That means, by the way, no seats. The train that they were on stopped in Toledo, Ohio, just long enough for the Donies to give their daughter a proper burial. It's interesting to note here that this ship, the Samuel Curling, sank on its way back to England. Okay, so the Donies arrive in Iowa City in late May 1856, where they are instructed in how to prepare to cross the Great Western Plains. Not in a covered wagon with a team of healthy, strong oxen, but in a handcart, hastily constructed by men from green timber. From another Pioneer Journal, we have this description. The open handcart was made of Iowa hickory or oak, and in length, the side pieces and shafts were about six or seven feet. The carts were the usual width of the wide track wagon, and they were often loaded with 400 or 500 pounds of flour, bedding, extra clothing, cooking utensils, and a tent. Two persons were assigned to the pulling of each open cart. In many instances, the father had to pull the covered cart alone. Okay, so you guys, there were thousands of mostly destitute immigrants gathered in Iowa City. They were ill-prepared for what would be an arduous effort. They were not mountain men. They were not used to living outside at all. They were not accustomed to extreme heat or an unrelenting sun. 
They also weren't prepared for cold conditions in high mountain passes. On the other hand, they were unprepared to continue living where they were. So moving forward with faith seemed to be their best option. This would be a huge experiment. People pushing and pulling their own very limited belongings some 1,300 miles. They were divided up into large companies and then into smaller groups, assigned group captains. On June 9th, Anne and John started their journey with the Edmund Ellsworth Company, the very first attempt at handcart travel. There were 273 members in their company. 33 of those people gave up fairly early. A total of 12 died en route, and the remaining arrived in the Salt Lake Valley on September 26, 1856. From the Journal of Mary Ann Jones, also a member of this first company, we have this. We left Iowa City June 9th and traveled to Florence, leaving there July 16th. The handcarts were flimsy and were continually breaking down. We were allotted one tent and four handcarts to 20 persons. We traveled from 10 to 28 miles each day. We always reached camp long before the three wagons which were attached to our company. We were all allowed 17 pounds of baggage for each person. This included clothing, bedding, and cooking utensils. Some people who wanted to take more than allowed placed on their bodies more clothing than usual while being checked. Thus, some thin people became stout all at once. (laughs) After weighing in, these same people placed their extra items on carts. After a few days, all members were checked again, unannounced. One old sister chose to carry a colander on her apron string all the way to the Salt Lake Valley. The Lord was with us and guided us by His Spirit. For although tired and footsore, we could sing the songs of Zion as we traveled. So I have become acquainted with Anne's story um, through a handful of different resources. And in one of these accounts, I read a detail that just about blew my mind. So to set the stage, I am going to read you some of the account that was written by Captain Ellsworth in his almost daily log. I'm going to read what he entered just for a few days at the end of July. July 25th, the camp rolled out at 7 a.m. and traveled 19 miles. The roads were pretty good, with the exception of about 5 miles, rather sandy. Camped at 6 p.m., 2 miles from Loop Ferry Fork. July 26th. At 9 a.m., the camp rolled towards the ferry, where we were detained 5 hours in crossing. At half past 5 p.m., the camp again moved on about 3 miles, where we were overtaken by a most terrific storm of thunder and rain in the open prairie without tents. Two brothers and two sisters were knocked down by lightning. Brother Henry Walker from Carlisle was killed, age 58. He was a faithful man to his duty. We again moved on for one and one quarter miles and camped for the night. Traveled six miles total. July 28th. At 15 past 7 a.m., the camp rolled out and traveled 20 miles. The roads in many parts were heavy. We rested two hours and had dinner. 
We turned up to the right about a half a mile and camped for the night at half past 6 p.m. July 29th. At 9 a.m., camp rolled out and ascended a bluff to the right of the camping ground. Traveled 15 miles. The roads in some parts a little sandy. Camped at quarter to 3 p.m., about four miles from the upper crossing. Plenty of wood and water. Two good springs on the west side of the campground. One of them dug out by Brother Card. July 30th. The camp rolled out at 7 and traveled 25 miles. A great part of the road, very sandy and heavy for handcarts and wagons. No wood, no water till we camped. And that was not very plentiful. Still, plenty for camping purposes. Camped at 15 past 6 p.m. But wait, you guys. Now, as I'm reading the same story from another person's journal, okay, this one is kept by fellow pioneer Anne Hickenlooper, listen for some additional detail. July 29th, traveled 15 miles, just as Captain Ellsworth reported. Met a party of gold seekers coming from California. Camped near a river. Sister Ann Doney gave birth to a fine daughter, Mary Jane. What? (laughs) Wait, what? You mean my ancestor Ann was pregnant on that crazy sea voyage? You mean she left Iowa City seven months pregnant? She walked all that way? I went back and tallied it up, 429 miles on foot, pregnant. The first time I read this, I promise you, I stopped complaining for like two full weeks, probably more like two full days, but I could not stop thinking about this story about Anne. Of course, I immediately looked her up on FamilySearch.org, and sure enough, There's the death of little Anne on May 22nd in Toledo, Ohio, and the birth of Mary Jane in Spring Camp, Nebraska on July 29th. Incredible. I can't even explain how often my mind tries to wrap its gray matter around this idea of giving birth with just your husband in a makeshift tent with about 17 pounds of personal belongings, how does one even begin to clean up and stand up and move on? And oh my goodness, depending on which record you read, Anne was able to ride in one of the three covered wagons for three or 10 days. Either way, (laughs) it's not a long time to recover. After that, She carried her infant in her arms or secured and tied up in one of her aprons the remaining six weeks. Again, from Anne Hickenlooper's journal for September 25th, now almost a month later. We traveled 25 miles, found it tight work to pull our carts up the big mountain, but realized the promise that as thy day thy strength shall be. There was much excitement as a brother Lynn came to meet us from the valley. And about September 26th, Anne wrote, a wagon from the valley brought a breakfast of biscuits, potatoes, 
onions, and cheese. We ate and started. Brother Brigham Young and the band and carriages and wagons and ladies on horseback met us with a present of watermelons, which we enjoyed very much. On eating a piece of watermelon, my voice was restored, having been hoarse for three weeks. Brother Brigham's heart was full. All he could say was, God bless you. After an hour's rest, we rolled on again. Late in the afternoon, we came out of Immigration Canyon to the bench in full view of the city. Mary Ann Jones described the company's arrival this way. It was a day never to be forgotten. We had reached our goal, traveling on foot all the way. We had left comfortable homes, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, and friends, all for our testimony of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the privilege of hearing a prophet's voice and to live with the saints of God. I have never regretted this trip. Wow! (laughs) This is one of my pioneer stories. So, that baby born on July 29th in Spring Camp, Nebraska, named Mary Jane, she grew up, and with her family and 11 others became the first, I should say 11 other families, became the first non-native settlers in what would become Idaho. She also became the mother of 10 children, one of which was named Adelaide. Adelaide was the mother of my grandmother, Addie. My daughter, Addie, is named for her. These pioneers believed, as I believe, that God loves his children in every nation of the world, that he has given us the divine birth, the incomparable life, and the infinite atoning sacrifice of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. By the power of the Father, Jesus rose again and gained the victory over death. He is our Savior, our Exemplar, and our Redeemer. I cherish that knowledge, and I am always eager to share. I believe that I will one day meet Anne and Mary Jane and others. And here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to tell them that my life was too hard, that I wasn't able to live the faith that they valiantly passed on to me. I personally am not willing to do that. And that's the strength of a pioneer life and story. Okay, so for many years in the summer, teenage members of my church gather across the country (laughs) and in other countries even, like in South America. Youth gather to reenact a short pioneer trek inspired by these handcart pioneers. And this is exactly what happened locally for us this last weekend. It has happened about every four or five years since I moved to Spokane. So all of my children have now had the chance to dress up and pretend to be a pioneer in this way. And you guys, it truly is a sight to see. This time we had 233 teens and about half that many adult volunteers. Again, all dressed up, Long skirts, long sleeves, cowboy hats, bonnets, the works. They were assigned to families of 10 or so, and they were given one handcart to push and pull for what ended up being only 16 miles. I shouldn't say only. That's a lot of miles across three days. 
They leave their phones and all the trappings of modern life behind, and each evening they gather to sing and to dance and to hear pioneer stories. In fact, they are each asked to do a little digging, research, and find a pioneer that they can walk for, ancestor or not. This is an almost heroic feat, as you can imagine, to prepare and carry out. But year after year, these treks prove to be so worth it. This most recent group of youth is just emerging from, as you all know, a global pandemic. And perhaps for that reason, seeing them together was extra sweet. I thought on Saturday as we watched these teens drop down into a sort of valley and meet their parents and siblings and eat watermelon that it might be fun for me to share Anne's story on my podcast. But then yesterday, my husband sent me a text message that included a poem that one of these teenage girls had written. When she got home, Gretchen Carter was exhausted like all of her friends, but she also felt strengthened and inspired. So she put her pen to paper and she wrote about her experience. When I read what she wrote, I knew I needed to share it with you. So I reached out to her and I asked if, and it's kind of a big if, a big ask, if she would be willing to not just share her poem, but record it in her own voice. She said, yes, here it is. My feet setting up thick clouds of dust, flanked by my family who held my trust, sweat beating on my forehead, my tired legs feeling like lead, muscles aching from pushing along, but the help of God has made me strong. The spirit bonding us in unity, the youth of Zion, a strong community, a powerful love for the pioneers, with their faith in God chasing all fears, Lifting my chin as I pushed the handcart, I felt the spirit speaking to my heart. Moments pull, singing there is peace in Christ, tears in my eyes sinking off his sacrifice. Times when I thought I just might quit, I was reminded that I could do it. My ancestor's hand was on my back, proof that he's there, keeping me on track. I strive to let go of all my doubt, all the times I thought of backing out. I realized I needed Christ to feel peace. I decided my doubt would now cease. Never in my life has God left my side, so I must not leave him, I complied. Track has been full of great faith and great fun, even through the dirt and dust and hot sun. In the place of my ancestors made me realize the faith of the pioneers never dies. It sings in our hearts as we walk the trail, to our ancestors in Christ do we hail. Never forget the experiences we faced, don't let the spirit we felt go to waste. Not after we trek 16 miles, angels watching our 233 smiles. Pretty amazing, huh? So Gretchen's poem refers to something called the woman's pull. In that original group of pioneers in 1847, as they trekked west, the U.S. government approached, or some members of the U.S. Army, I should say, and asked for about 500 men to leave the pioneer company and go help and fight the Mexican-American War. So many times when these teenagers reenact these treks, there will be a portion when the men and boys are asked to step aside so that the women and girls can pull by themselves these heavy handcarts. And they generally give them a couple decent hills to climb. This, my friends, is my takeaway today. Number one, write your story. 
What I know of Anne Temperance George Doney, I know because I have pieced together from, as I mentioned, a handful of other people's records, for which I am incredibly grateful. But how I would love to have just a few details directly from Anne. Don't put off recording some of your life experiences. It will matter, I promise. And number two, if you haven't yet, do some family history. See what you can learn about the people that first came to your country, your state, province, city, or town. Why did they come? What were they seeking? If you know or have access to these kinds of stories, share them, especially with children and teens. We know from studies out of Emory University that knowing just a little of your heritage can and does make a big difference, especially to a young person's sense of belonging to something bigger. There is resilience to be had in the knowledge of past family. Even if all the stories aren't positive, in fact, it's a mix, as it turns out, of the good and the bad, the happy and the hard, that is the most impactful. Stories of overcoming in your family are powerful for the next generation. And number three, when it comes to faith and sharing what you believe, focus less on what and more on why. Why have people across time chosen to leave behind a past life for a future of uncertainty? These, these stories are always remarkable. And this has happened over and over again throughout history, and it continues to play out across the globe today. From my observation, it's becoming easier and even more popular to criticize religion and people who choose faith. And that's okay. It's always been that way, honestly. But if your faith is important to you, please don't shy away from sharing it and sharing why it is your faith. The why is always what matters most. I am truly proud of my pioneer heritage, and I know that you too have pioneers. Maybe not the handcart pulling kind in your family, but pioneers nonetheless. People who forged ahead, people who exercised faith or fought for freedom or gained an education when that wasn't what their family did. People who trusted in a brighter future in exchange for hard work, for new ideas. That's what a pioneer is, and we all have them. And we all pioneer in our own unique ways. A huge shout out goes to my friend Gretchen for being brave enough to write what she wrote and to share it with me so I could share it with you. I'm so proud of her. All right, you guys, thanks for listening. Have a fantastic weekend and week. I hope you will come back next Thursday because I will be here with another episode of Exactly Enough Time. Time.